my friend Erin, who is in A Little Stiff, was um, as an actress, uh, was obsessed with Terrence McKenna and introduced me to him, and I became obsessed as well. And uh, I started doing a lot of research about drugs, and I learned that Detura um, is indigenous to Los Angeles, which is where I was living at the time. And I really wanted to try this drug that was indigenous. Um, and I'd read about about it and how the Indians who lived there took it, and it was like a, a rite of passage. And sometimes uh, if you took too much, you could like uh, die or go insane. Um, and um, I wasn't sure what the right dose was. So I, 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 I got some detura, and I sort of... Uh, steeped it in some in some boiling water, and I drank it. And I, I just took a little bit because I was afraid uh, of dying. Um, but um, I got a little high, but not very high. And that night, just by some weird fluke, Terrence McKenna was being interviewed on the radio, and it was like a call-in show. So I called in, and I said, um, hey, I'm just calling to find out what, what the rec- how would you recommend the dosage for Detura is, like how much should you take, and how do you figure that out? And he said, you know, and Terrence McKenna is the guy who says you should take, you know, massive doses of hallucinogens and five grams of mushrooms. And he's like, Mr. Advocate, he said, I would stay away from that stuff if I were you. That stuff is dangerous. And it's very, very hard to predict the dosage. Like the difference between the right dosage and the wrong dosage that would kill you is like infinitesimal. So whatever you do, do not mess with that. And I was like, whoa, could have died. Um, but um, then... Um, I went to a reading that he gave, and afterwards I, I went and talked to him, and I said to him, um, I'm just curious, how often do you do mushrooms? And, you know, he said, I don't know, maybe like four times a year, which is about how often I took them, but I thought he would be saying like, you know, oh, every week or something, and I was weirdly disappointed. And then after he died, I really wanted to make a film about him, and I, I contacted his brother and his daughter, and I met with his daughter, and we talked about it. And then she just said that they were like, it was a bad time, and there was too much going on for them to deal with going through his papers and all that stuff, and it just never happened. I didn't tell that very well. Um, <clears throat> let me try again. Uh, when I was in film school, I became obsessed with Terrence McKenna, the drug scholar I'm oh, sorry okay when I was in film school uh, I became obsessed with uh, Terrence McKenna the drug scholar and uh, his idea that people don't take enough of hallucinogens when they take it they take a recreational dose and not a heroic dose which is what he advocated and so I started experimenting with heroic doses and uh, he was right it's different it's amazing and um I also started um, becoming interested in Detura because it's indigenous to Los Angeles where I was living. And um, the Indians who lived there used to take it as a rite of passage um, between um, childhood and adulthood. And they would usually go uh, unconscious for like three days. And either they would come back and they would have uh, met their spirit guides or they would uh, die or they would be permanently insane. Like this was the, the risk. And so uh, I wanted to try it, but I was a little scared of dying. And I'd read uh, stories about people who had taken it and, and died. Somebody died in a very shallow puddle, drowned. And the person who had survived said that they were looking for red-eyed dolphins. So, you know, it, it had its risks. Um, so I took just a little bit uh, in a tea, and I was going to try to experiment and see if, you know, 
what the right dose was. And 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 I got a little high, but not that high. Um, and so I, I, I that night there was a he was Terrence McKenna was on the radio on a talk show, and so I called in and I said, you know, what's the right dosage for Detura? And he said, um, do not mess with that stuff. That stuff will kill you. It's like dangerous. And this is the guy who like advocates like huge amounts of of hallucinogens. And he said, you know, the the problem with Detura is the dose that will get you high is so close to the dose that will kill you that you really can't predict it at all. And it's just like playing Russian roulette. So I didn't ever take Detour again after that. Greta Gerwig. Um, my friend Joe Swanberg told me that he had a friend named Greta Gerwig who is writing a master's thesis about my films, and could she could he give her my contact information? She would love to to interview me. I was like, sure. Uh, and I was in New York City for uh, the Sex Addict promotional uh, marketing, whatever, promotional tour thing that they did. Um, and she came to my hotel room, and I remember my back was out, so I was, like, laying in bed the whole time. And she sat next to me like like a shrink and interviewed me. And uh, she was running, like, a Lacanian analysis of my work. Um, and uh, she seemed really nice. Um and then uh, Joe made a film with her called uh, Hannah Takes the Stairs, and I went to see it, and she was great in it. Uh, I was like, wow, she's like star quality. She's really something. Uh, and so when I was trying to shoot my, my Rome film, I was trying to cast it, I, I asked her if she would want to come to Rome. And I, well, before that, I actually uh, ran into her in New York, and she helped me. I was trying to cast it in New York, and she was doing the lines for the actors. Like She just was being the person who was reading their lines to them. And then uh, I asked her if she wanted to, to do it, so she came to Rome for three days, and her and Justin Rice from the band Bishop Allen were, were acting in, in it, and we just shot some scenes for it, uh, which I was... It's a long story, but... Um, and then I was doing this film on my birthday when I turned 50, and I had I had 42 camera people, and it was, every hour of the day was documented, not just mine, but also my wife's and my son's, who was two at the time. And she came and she shot some of that, um, but then, like, she got really, really famous, and and now she never returns my emails. <clears throat> Andrew Bujalski. Um, I heard about Andrew Bujalski through Ray Carney, who was a big fan of Funny Haha, and um, I. Uh, I forget how I met Andrew. I think I met him at a film festival, and he was really nice. And then I was going to um, New Hampshire um, for an artist colony, and I needed a ride. And it would have cost me about 80 bucks to get a ride from Boston to uh, the artist colony in New Hampshire. And I knew Andrew didn't have a lot of money, and I, I kind of wanted to, to hang out with him. So I said, hey, Andrew, how about I pay you 80 bucks to drive me from uh, Boston to New Hampshire? And he said, Sure. So, uh, you know, I went to Boston, and he picked me up and drove me to New Hampshire, and we had a really nice talk on the way. And then when I was done, um, he came and he picked me up, and he drove me back to Boston, and we had a really nice talk on the way. <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino. Um, I was at a screening of um, Nashville with my friend Richard Linklater, and... Um, Quentin Tarantino was there in the audience, and and uh, Rick recognized him. He just made Reservoir Dogs, um, and 
we started talking and uh, they had like more in common than I had because they both knew some of the same people and stuff. But then uh, we there was an Antonioni retrospective and I went with Rick and my friend Chris Munch and Alison Anders. Uh, there was a dinner afterwards and Alison Anders, who was going out with Quentin Tarantino at the time, was there and uh, me and Rick and Chris. And we all had dinner at this uh, at this Thai restaurant called Toy. And uh, Quentin, like, was just going on and on about stuff. And, you know, he's a real talker. And um, it was hard to get a word in edgewise, but he was so charming and entertaining and everything he said was so interesting that it was totally fine. And I remember thinking, like, wow, here we are, all these filmmakers, all of whom are talented and that I like. Um, and, and finally, I felt like I'd made it. Like, I was... This was my dream, you know, when I was young, like that I would be having dinner with other filmmakers who I liked, and I liked their work, and we were all talking about films. And and that was probably the last time anything that ever happened. Neil Young. When I was at Yale, David Geffen was teaching a course on the music industry. And everybody could have a different famous guest would come to class. Um, I didn't take this course because I was too snobbish and I was studying philosophy and I thought the music industry, who cares? It's capitalism or whatever. But I, I really regret this. And once uh, Neil Young was the guest that week and uh, I went to the bathroom and Neil Young was peeing in the urinal next to me. Louis Mal. Uh, when I was in college, uh, Louis Mal came and showed uh, La Combe Lucien. And afterwards, I, I went up to him and I said, uh, what's your advice to young filmmakers? And he said, uh, go, to UCL, go to USC Film School. And he said, um, go to USC Film School. And I was really thrown. I thought he was going to say something like, um, study Montaigne or something, you know. But he said, go to USC Film School. And I was like, why? And he said, I was just there recently. They have really great equipment. I was like, wow, that's so weird. Um, and I didn't think much of it. I, you know, I had no interest in going to film school at the time. But like five years later, when I was ready to go to film school because I hated the work world, the workforce, and I wanted back in school, um, I applied to USC and UCLA, and I got into both. And um, I turned down UCLA. And uh, they said, why are you turning down, us down? I said, well, because Louis Mal told me to go to USC. So then I was going to go to USC, and I went there, and I, I found out that when everyone was a jerk, and you didn't own your own film, like they owned it, and then you couldn't make a film unless they approved of your film. You had to, like, pitch it, and there were certain people who were disqualified, and it was this whole thing where at UCLA, everyone could make whatever film they wanted. There was no process like that. And... Uh, so I was like, could you please let me in? And they said, yeah, we can let you in, but, uh, you know, we were going to give you this full scholarship. But then when you turned it down, we gave it to someone else. So now you don't get the full scholarship. And I was like, okay, thanks, Louis. Uh, um, I met Kiarostami twice. The first time was in uh, San Francisco, um, and uh, at the film festival, and I interviewed him, 
And we had a really good talk, and I gave him my films, and he liked them. And then I saw him again in uh, Rotterdam. No, in Kalavivari. And then I saw him again in Kalavivari in the Czech Republic. And I said to him, um, you know, I'm thinking of doing this uh, video uh, correspondence. I've been starting to do some with some friends. Would you be interested in doing a video correspondence? Like me and you, we would send each other video letters. He said, yeah, that'd be great. The only problem is that the censors in Iran, they open letters and they would, I don't want them to see what it, I would be writing or what you would be writing, and they, would, and they wouldn't go through. So you have to figure out a way to get someone to deliver it to me, and then I'd have to get someone to deliver it to you. So I was like, okay, well, I could probably figure that out. Um, and so I started trying to write a video letter, and I was so intimidated by him that I, was, I felt I had to write like a great video letter. And so it got more and more ambitious, and it required me flying to Los Angeles and doing all these interviews there, and everything became just, like, unwieldy. So I thought, okay, if I just get some money, maybe it'll happen. And, you know, I figured I could get a grant to do a video correspondence with Kiarostami. And it'd be great, like, if there was a war or something, you know, we'd both be, like, having these letters going back and forth. It would be a great project. And um, I applied for a grant, and I was rejected. And I called them and said, why was I rejected? And they, they read me the notes, and they said, the notes were like, I don't believe that Kiarostami really would make a film with this guy. This guy isn't nearly as important as Kirsten. Why would he want to waste his time with this loser kind of thing? Um, so they didn't believe me, basically. is why I didn't get the grant money. And, um, and then a few years later, I found out that he had done a video correspondence with Victor Ariche, the Spanish director, and had been exhibited at the Beaubourg Museum in Paris, and I was so jealous. Philip Glass. Um, I was hugely obsessed by Einstein on the Beach when I was in college, and I, I was such a hugely transformative uh, experience. And I was in New York visiting my friend Arnold, uh, and we were going walking down the street, and we stopped at a stop sign, streetlight, and uh, and we stopped at a streetlight, and uh, Philip Glass was standing on the street corner by himself. Um, and I said, I love Einstein on the beach. He said, thank you. Thank you very much. And then the light turned green and we crossed. Um, when I was in high school, I was obsessed with Bob Dylan. I, I loved him. I used to paint paintings of him and stuff. And um, I had a friend who knew somebody who was working on his house in Malibu. And he got the address and uh, I went there one day with a friend of mine, and I wanted to ask him if he would uh, do a benefit concert for this organization called Freedom from Hunger that I was uh, trying to raise money for. And um, I, I went around the perimeter of his property, and I saw there was a hole under the fence, and I crawled under the fence with my friend. And this guy starts walking up to us, saying, Hey, you! And he looks just like Bob Dylan, except his hair was blonde. He wasn't wearing a shirt, and he had a white dog, a big white dog. And I'm thinking, like, is that Bob Dylan? But Bob Dylan's not blonde. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he sounded like Bob Dylan. I was like, we're looking for Bob Dylan. And I thought he would say, oh, well, that's me. But he said, well, he's not here. So I'm like, well, who are you? He says, I'm the gardener. And then he starts, like, saying, you know, you could have been shot. I could have shot you. You know, you're trespassing on private property. What the hell do you want anyway? I said, um... 
I want to ask him to make to do a benefit concert. Um, I want to ask him to do a benefit concert um, for hunger, for people hungry. He said, "What people? What hungry people? You ever seen hungry people?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Where?" I said, "In Iran." He goes, "Okay." And then he said, "Well, how do I contact him?" He said, "We just got to go through the right channels." I said, "Well, like what are they?" He said, "Well, that's you got to figure that out, don't you?" And he said, let me explain something to you. And he sits down, or he crouches down on the ground, and he uh, draws a line in the sand. He says, you see this line? This is private property. You can do whatever you want on this side of the line, but you can't cross over to this side. Do you understand? It's like, yeah, I know what private property is. It's like, okay, so get out of here, and if you ever come back again, you might get shot. So I left, and I'm just thinking, God, is that Bob Dylan or not? I can't tell. And the next week, in TV Guide, there was an interview with Bob Dylan, and it said that his hair was blonde, and he had a white dog, and nobody recognized him uh, on the beach where this interview was taking place. So I was like, oh, my God, that was Bob Dylan. So then I'm on an airplane, like, a year later, and we're going from London to, I mean, from Los Angeles to London. And there's all these, like, rock and roll kind of guys all around, and this guy's, like, playing the drums on his, you know, tray and stuff. And I saw a guy look like Bob Dylan, except his hair was dark brown. And I'm like, is that Bob Dylan? And I asked a guy, uh, one of the guys, uh, like a rock guy, I was like, are you are you in a band or something? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're on a tour. I was like, Who's, who are you touring for? He said, Bob Dylan. I'm like, oh, my God, is that him right there? He's like, yeah. And it turned out Bob Dylan was sitting right behind me. Like he was in the seat behind my seat in economy, you know, in coach. And so I was just staring at him through the two the hole between the two seats you know just staring at him the whole time and he was you know uncomfortable and he kept looking away and then finally he just got up because he couldn't take it anymore and he went and he he sat uh on his girlfriend's lap uh or next to his girlfriend uh, lay down on her lap and she was uh, the black uh christian singer that converted him to christianity it was like his christian period was starting it was right when the street legal tour was happening and I was so nervous, I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I went over there finally, and uh, he was sleeping on her lap. And I said, you know, I, I want to talk to Bob Dylan. She said, well, he's asleep. And I said, well, um, okay, maybe I could leave him a note. And she said, okay. So I went back to my seat, and I wrote him a note. And the note said something like, um, my name's Kavi Zahedi, I'm a filmmaker, and I want to make a film with you in it. Um, and so I went over to him, and I, 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 I put the note under his head. And I went back to my seat, and I waited for him to wake up. And he slept during the whole flight. It was like a 13-hour flight. And I was just, the whole time, just like turning around, trying to see if he had woken up yet. And he hadn't. And finally, we're about to land. They're serving breakfast. He wakes up. And I go over there, and I say, um, did you see my note? And he goes, uh-uh. I said, well, I, I put it under your head. And he goes, uh-huh. I said, well, it must be here somewhere. And so I get down on my hands and knees, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and we're both looking under the seat together for this note. And he just goes, eh? Like, I don't, I don't see it. And I was like, okay, well, if you find it, I'll be sitting right over there. He's like, uh-huh. So I go back to my seat, and I just didn't even think to, like, tell him what was in the note. I was too nervous. Um, but I get off the plane, and I actually had my Super 8 camera that I just bought with me. And... There's a bunch of like photographers uh, waiting at the at the at the gate, and I said uh, to one of them, "What are you guys doing here?" They said, "Oh, we heard a rumor that Bob Dylan was on the plane, but I don't think it's true." I said, "No, no, it is true." He said, 
what's he wearing? What's he wearing? I said, oh, he's like wearing a pink shirt with like a vest. And they're like, hey, guys, he's on the plane. He's wearing a pink shirt with a vest. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait and see what happens with these paparazzis. And so I, I stood there and I took out my camera. And Bob Dylan comes out and they start flashing pictures in front of him. And he's just walking and ignoring them. And then I was like, you know, I should take, I should film him. I got my camera. So I went in front of all of them. And I'm standing right in front of Bob Dylan, like, you know, one foot in front of his face. And I'm walking backwards with my camera in his face. And he looks at me with this look of like, you too, Judas. And I was so mortified. Like, it's just a look of complete contempt. And I put down my camera, and I just thought, oh, my God, Bob Dylan hates me. When I was in college, I was obsessed with the Talking Heads. I, I loved them, and I, I worshipped David Byrne. And I made a, a music video uh, of a David Byrne song called Pull Up the Roots. And I wanted to send it to him, and I, I, I met someone who who knew his phone number. So I called him up. And he answered the phone. He was like, hello? And I was like, hi, is this David Bernie? He's like, yes. And I said, hi, uh, my name's Kavi Zahedi. I'm a huge fan of yours. And I made a, a video of uh, Pull Up the Roots. He said, oh, cool. That's great. I said, I'd like to send it to you. He said, oh, great. I'd love to see it. And I said, okay, well, how do I send it to you? He said, well, I'm going to London tomorrow. Why don't you send it to my hotel? I said, okay. But the only problem is, you know, I'm in France and it's a uh, SICAM is the kind of... Uh, video that it is and couldn't you see that he said oh well, i'll just get it transferred i said oh okay great so i sent him the 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 tape i didn't hear back from him for a while so i called him again and i said uh he said hello and i said hi this is conversation i sent you that tape of uh, the film of a uh, he said oh yeah well i couldn't watch it because it was secam i said well i know I, I i thought you said you were transferred he said oh yeah but that's really expensive i said oh okay well um do you want me to transfer for you? He said, yeah, that'd be great. I said, okay. So um, I, I did a new version, and I, I retransferred it, and I sent it to him again. And I didn't hear back from him um, for a long time. And then I, I, I called him. I was in New York, and I, he said, hello? And I said, hi, this is Kavi Zahedi. I made that film, uh, Pull of the Roots, I sent you. He said, oh, yeah, um, but um, I don't know where to see it. I'm telling the story wrong. Um, so then I didn't hear back from him for a long time. And then finally I got a, a letter, like a year later. And it was from his secretary. And it said, uh, thank you for sending your film, Pull of the Roots. David Byrne really enjoyed it. And his comment was, looks great. Uh, and his comment was, looks great. And I'd love to see more. But I don't really see what it has to do with the song, except in terms of beats slash edits. And I was just like, what? Like, he didn't get it at all. And then I had a friend who told me that he had made a, a trailer for something he had done, and it was exactly like that film I had done. And he was like, it was crazy how much it was similar. Like, he totally copied it. And I was like, no. He didn't even like it that much. And my friend was like, yeah, he really did. Well, I don't know if he did or not. But I met him again. There was a, uh, an event, and he was, like, signing books. And I bought a book, and I went, and I... I knew all these people who knew him, and I, and I said, uh, and I knew he liked Waking Life, so I said, oh, hi, I was in Waking Life. And he looks at, uh-huh. I said, uh, and also, uh, I sent you a video once of Pull Up the Roots. Do you remember that? He said, no. And I said, well, yeah, um, you said you'd, 
you you liked it, except you didn't know what to do with the song, except in terms of the beat slash edits. And he looked at me like he was afraid of me. And and then like the next person wanted to talk to him, and I just left. <laughs>